Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm back with Eric Cummings. Uh, Hello. Once again. Episode number eight. Number eight, time enough at last. This is one of my top five, probably favorite Twilight Zone episodes of all yes. time. It as is bad so, as the previous episode seven was. This one is makes this up one for makes it. up for it and some because this one you just it's just crushing. I mean, he, it's first Meredith is just. He's just awesome. I know. Um, and those of you who know Burgess Meredith, that is the main character, Henry Bemis, and he was the penguin in the 1966 Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic voice actor. He was Puff the Magic Dragon. I mean, we could go on and on about him. He's so, so Don't good. Don't forget about Mick and Rocky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, he could just go on and on about this. Oh, he was in... Um, what was it? Uh, wasn't he in uh, Grumpy Old Men? On and on and on. On and on and on. So, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it, Eric. All right. This is episode number eight. Eight, um, time enough at last. The original air date for this particular episode was November 20th, 1959. So we're coming to the end of the, the decade here. We're getting really close. It was directed by uh, John Brom. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Again, Rod Serling with all the writing credits and the creation credits. And this actually was, um, we have another writing credit in here. This was a based on a short story by Lynn Venable. I don't exactly know who Lynn Venable is, but maybe you do a little deep dive on her uh, at some point. Uh, the cast includes Burgess Meredith, of course, as so Henry good. Bemis. Henry Bemis. Vaughn Taylor as Mr. Carsville. Uh, Jacqueline DeWitt as Helen Bemis, the mean, mean wife (laughs) of Harry Bemis. Oh, she is awful. She's the worst. And Leah Bliss as Mrs. Chester. I believe she was like one of his co-worker bank teller. I'm not not exactly sure, but... 
yeah, now, that's the that's the, the, cast. the, the, the thing about this though is the, the glasses that he wears, man. They're, they're, oh, they're, they're so thick. They remind me of yours back. <laughs> yeah. uh, Eric yeah. had a pair of those back. Legally boys. blind. I yeah. mean, those things are those like things magnifying are like Coke glasses. Bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the synopsis of this is this this guy Burgess Meredith or Henry Bemis. He loves books. He's a book lover, and he finds happiness to read after a nuclear explosion. Here we are again with a running theme, right? So this nuclear is Holocaust. A, he, he's a bank teller. And you can see him counting money on. He's got a book in his lap. You know, I mean, he's reading as he goes along, and he's throwing the money, counting money out. And you know, he's reading. And uh, you know, he, he's he's got it so bad that he loves to read so much, and he doesn't get to read it. And his wife always yells at him uh, that he's like takes his lunch break, and you know, he goes into the vaults and reads. And you know, his his boss has told him he's like, look, he's like, you you can't go and read in the vault. You, you yeah. just can't read at work anymore. We've told you and told you. And, He's like, I just love to read. Yeah, yeah, and he tells him that he tells his boss like, I, I, I can't read at home because my wife hides all <laughs> my books and she won't let me even look at the newspaper. Right. Even if I pick it up, she yells at me and like rips it out of my hand. <laughs> and so the only place he can read is at work. And he obviously the running theme is he doesn't have enough time in his day be, to to read because he's just. A total bookworm. Yeah, he, he just wants to work. You know what I mean? Uh, he said he finds himself uh, read the labels on the on the, uh, the oh, yeah, 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 bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy's got it really bad. Yeah, he just likes to read. Um, so you see, he he's at home and uh, you know he's going to read something, and his wife starts yelling, says, "Look, we're going to this party tonight." And um, yeah, <laughs> he's such well, the, a good... the boss before this scene, the boss actually threatens to fire him if he doesn't pay attention to his duties because he's a bank teller and he's shortchanging people on their paychecks and, and things. And so, yeah, uh, we skip to the next uh, scene where he's at home and he's in his easy chair and he's trying to read and his wife is just giving him all kinds of trouble. I know. Uh, she, she's just... Um, is this the part where she's taking everything away from him and he finds that book under the couch or under the cushion? Yeah, he, he said hides he... a book under the, the cushion. She tells him that they have to go to like a dinner party or they're going to play cards and he needs to be ready and he needs to change his yeah. shirt. And, and she doesn't have the any time. House. Yeah. yeah, doesn't have any time for his shenanigans. And so when she walks like uh, back into the kitchen, um, you know, she looks like Mrs. Gulch from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> she's really mean looking. And so he, he pulls out this book that he's hidden in the chair, uh, in his chair. And I want to say, is, cushion, it, is it under a the poem, cushion. poem book or something? Or Ralph yeah, it, it's a book of poetry with you know, Robert, to hide it Robert Frost book. and Keats. He has all of this amazing modern uh, poetry book. And so his wife catches him with the book because uh, he puts it. He's in like, his, I, got, I got nothing. <laughs> in, his, in his breast pocket of his suit jacket and he hides it and she reaches in and finds it. And then she tells him the meanest thing ever. She tells him to read a passage from the book. Oh, and, and when he goes to open the book, it's all like, crossed poetry. out and, and marked over. And he asks her, who did this? Yeah, who did Look this? Look at that. Oh. And she says, who do you think did it? And, he, and he's Look just him, completely broken. Like, why would you do that? He's so mad. So mad. Oh, and then she starts ripping the and pages out. And she gets out. mad, yeah. And starts Helen, ripping Helen, the pages no. of this poetry book out and throwing them on the ground. And he stumbles to collect all of the ripped out pages. You monster. And he's like, he why just, do you do again, these things, asking, Helen? Yeah, well, just, asking why. She's like, I married a fool. But, you know, and he's just like, he's like, he's crushed. Dude. He's like, I don't understand why you would do this. 
Oh, man. She's so mean. You know, it's like... <laughs> he's at work again. Yeah, so the next scene is he's back at work at the bank. It's high noon. He goes into the... Um, the filing cabinet to get his lunch and the paper and it looks to be like a book and he trots down the stairs to the uh the vault where he normally does all of his reading and what what we come to realize is that's exactly what saves his life uh, yep. uh being in that vault because there's a nuclear holocaust that takes place <laughs> midway through his lunch i mean just think how happy he is he's just happy and then the oh yeah the daily chronicle says h-bomb capable of total destruction he reads that as a headline in the newspaper, the newspaper yeah and then you know the the, the, the pocket watch uh cracks and there's rumblings inside the vault and he's thrown all over the place. Yeah, uh, and I think he gets knocked out, don't he? Yeah, he gets he gets knocked For a short down, amount of knocked time, out, I think. whatever. And then a, f- a little time passes, and he reaches. He d- his glasses are off of his face. He can't see. And he's they make stumbling that towards the door. You yeah, know, yeah. They make that very basically evident. like he can't see without his. glasses. Yeah, he can't see anything. They they want to drive that point home to you that like he's literally blind without his glasses, right. and that plays a big key. And he puts his glasses up, and it's just like total destruction. Like the the bank's been blown up. Yeah. Uh, he goes steps outside. And there, everything's been destroyed. Um, I think he even goes home, don't he? he? He makes his way to his house. He tries to stumble around. I don't know if he he tries to make it back. And, and he's hearing, he actually calls out for his wife right. too. I think Isn't he hearing point. something on the radio too about? Um, I thought he heard something on the radio about a political speech or something. Oh, I, maybe I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, I, I must have missed that. That part. And he's so like, he stumbles around for a little while, and then he, I think he comes on to some, uh, like a convenience store or a grocery store, and he, he's able to, to get himself some food after some time. And he, he says, I've got enough food to last me for a long time. Well, he stumbles around for a while. He tries to use the phone before he finds the grocery store. And he tries the movies, he's looking the bar, for any sign of life. Everywhere, yeah, any sign of life that he can find. And and he find- yeah, you're right. He does make it back to... He finds his mailbox. He does make it back to the area of where his house was. Yeah, and there's nothing left. And, and he he's calls out for, for Helen and his wife. Yeah. Um, and then, you, you know, you have another uh, scene of... Uh, this is like one of the... Um, a couple of times in the Twilight Zone where uh, Serling has a mid mid episode narration oh okay because um he's like i was down in the vault no wonder i was you know and he's like here we have mr bemis you know everything was is done you know um, and he realizes that the vault is what saves his life right. basically and it, and it becomes a realization for him and then he he uh he, and then, like i mentioned earlier he stumbles onto some food he sits down at the table he's got he enough food the last years yeah years i got enough years. food to last me i don't know where and he pulls out and starts smoking a cigarette i don't know where he got the cigarettes <laughs> but then he this is what's weird like he lays down in the middle of uh, you know, nuclear fallout <laughs> on a couch, that's, that's his couch and just goes to sleep in the middle of right. nowhere, like with no covering, no shelter, no nothing. So then he like takes a little nap for a while. He said the worst part about this is just sitting around all day and just eating. He's like, there's nothing, you know, nothing to do. Right. Nothing to occupy his time. Another, again, another running theme of, you know, boredom, uh, occupying your time, being in isolation. See, he wakes up, he took his glasses off to, go to sleep and then he's, he's fumbling around for his glasses he finds his glasses he puts them back on and he thought maybe oh maybe I was dreaming right right and he wakes up he's like no, no I'm this s- is reality s- still here I'm by myself you know he, then he tries to go over to a car and tries to start it and it, it turns over I think but it doesn't start 
and uh, he realizes that's not. Uh, He's like, a there's, good, there's a good plan. That's a fruitless plan. Basically, there's nobody left. He's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, I've never had enough solitude or, or, or time to do anything. Right. He's like, please, you know, I need somebody, anybody. I'm looking and for then, somebody. Yeah, and, and here comes the one of the best parts. Yeah. And he stumbles onto the library, the the rubble <laughs> left of the library, and all. Of, he said, because there was just something to do. Yeah, there's too. a lot of books. And he's like, he's oh, getting, I forgot the part where yeah. he, he gets so uh, deep in despair that he take he finds a gun and he's about to take his life. But just before up. he takes his life, he finds the ruins of a column of the public library that has fallen over. And then he goes and looks, and he discovers that there are thousands, thousands. and thousands of books that undamaged, undamaged, right? That he, that he could, look at him. He's, he's just, just so excited. Oh, Collected he, works of Dickens. Uh, what else does he find here? Let's see. Uh, works of Bert, George Bernard Shaw. The collected works. I mean, he's just going through all of them, and he's just a poem by Browning, Shelley Keats. He's just he's just so excited. I mean, he just great dramas of the world, and he just goes up books, books. He's like all the books, all I ever all the need. books, and he, now he he has all the time in the world, right? The, the time and now he has last. all the books in the world he'll ever Shakespeare, need. all of them, right? And uh, he's just he's just going through the library, and now he's got them all separated yeah, by, by months, yeah, by year then, after yeah. year after year. He's like the year, the next year, year after that, yeah. year after that, year he's after got that, them all that. arranged and what he's gonna read, and he's like ah. <laughs> And you're like, at this point, you're like, how is this a Twilight Zone twist? You're like, this guy yeah. got what he wanted, you know? Yeah. And you're like, what, what's going to happen, you know? And so Right, the most horrible twist of all comes. Right, and he's so excited, dude. He's just so excited. He's hugging books and, you know, the very best thing, he's like, I got all the time in the world now. He's looking at this gigantic clock. the symbolism of the big, huge, what probably was the library clock. Right. Um, is right in front of him. And it's frozen, obviously, because... You know, he has all the time is kind of stopped in essence, and he has all the time in the world to read. Right. And and then uh, he kind of stumbles. He stumbles and drops the book, and he leans over to pick up the book, and wouldn't you know it, his glasses fall off, and they completely shatter both lenses. Yeah, and they both fall. Out. And he's like, and the twist is just he's like, devastating. He's like, he's like, that's not fair. That's <laughs> you know, not fair. He's like, I had all this time now. That's Life not fair. Is not fair. He's like, this was all the time I ever needed in the world, and it's just not fair. And he starts crying. I mean, it is one it of the rips, most yeah, oh, it's one of the most touching scenes of all time. You know, after seeing how bad his wife, his treated, wife treated him, he finally got some and solace. You see, you see the ending shot here where he's standing there, and there's the pile of books he had separated by month after month after month, all on the library right. steps. But because he can't see, and it says the small man in the glasses really... who wanted nothing but time, Henry Bemis now just is a part of a smashed landscape. Oh. Uh, just a piece of the rubble, just a fragment of what man has deeded to himself. Mr. Henry Bemis in the Twilight Zone. Oh, terrible. It just rips at your heartstrings, <laughs> dude. Ah, such a great movie or episode. Right. So out of the 92 episodes of the Twilight Zone uh, written by Rod Sterling, this was his personal favorite okay. that he ever well, that, did. That kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah. It was rated number 25 on TV Guide's 100 Most Memorable Moments in Television. Okay. I mean, how, how, it sticks with you. Oh, sure. Uh, the exterior long library steps were filmed some months later and used as the steps up into an Eloy public building in MGM's 1960 film, The Time Machine. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Like, this is a pretty elaborate right. set for this episode. They were also all... seen in John Brahm's later work, The Twilight Zone, A Nice Place to Visit. So we'll have to have a recall there when we see that. Yeah. 
Uh, two pairs of glasses were used for Burgess Meredith's characters, one with thick lenses for the close-up and one with clear glass for the long uh, shots so he could see. Right. So, um, This is only one of four episodes of The Twilight Zone, which Rod Sterling uses a mid-episode narration. The other three are Walking Distance, which we've already covered, okay. I think, with Patrick. Um, I shot an arrow into the air, and then I sing The Body Electric. Uh, in 1960, John Brom was awarded a Director's Guild Award for his work on this episode. Uh, the newspaper Mr. Bemis Reads says H-bomb capable of total destruction noted atomic scientist reveals possibility of H-bomb 1 of the world's leading nuclear physicists today stressed the danger to mankind in a race in the hydrogen bomb as total and catastrophic. In a speech given at a symposium on nuclear weapons before 35 top scientists of the United States and Great Britain. Hmm. Uh, the Broad Sterling's closing narration begins the best laid plans of mice and men. A famous quote from Robert Burns' 1785 poem, To a Mouse. Mm. Burgess Meredith starred in Of Mice and Men in 1939, a film of the John Steinbeck play which took its title directly from the same quote. The full quote in the original Scottish dialect is as follows. But, Mousy, thou art no thy line, or lane. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes o' mice and men gang aft aglay, and Leah as not but grief and pain for promised joy. The relevant line can be translated to standard English as the best laid plans of mice and men go off to stray. And this was the first of four Twilight Zone starring roles for Bear or Burgess Meredith. So he's in three other ones. So Yeah. Uh, there cool. you have it. This is, like I said, this is one of my top five favorite movies. This is the reason why you kind of do these episodes. Right. Yeah, for this episode in right. particular. This, there's there's a couple. There, my, my all-time favorite, which I'm not going to say what it is yet, but we'll get to it. And it's probably not a really well-known one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some of these I haven't seen. That's another reason yeah, I want to do these. So yeah. I, I like to watch them all because I'm, I'm a big fan of the ones I've seen. I remember uh, growing up at my grandma's house, usually over like Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend, one of the two, they would have a Twilight Zone marathon where right. it would be on for 24 hours. Yep. And you'd stay up all hours of the night watching them things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even though they were only a half hour long, you could get two an hour. You're doing the math. Well, that's 48 episodes you know I can watch. So yeah. uh, great memories from uh, my grandma. So uh, loved it. Good stuff. What do you think of this episode? Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> I enjoyed it very <laughs> and, and, much. And, I like going back and watching the the older and how good is Burgess Meredith, man? Yeah, I so mean we good. can't we can't say enough about him, right? Well, there you have it. Uh, that's episode eight. Uh, time enough at last. Thanks, Eric, for coming in and knocking out some of the Twilight Zones with me. We'll yes, see you again in the future, real soon. And All that's right. wrap on this episode. And, and cut. cut.